You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. This week on Yap, we're chatting with Patrick Bet-David. Patrick is a CEO and founder of PHP Agency, an extremely successful insurance sales, marketing, and distribution company. He's also the creator behind the YouTube channel, Valuetainment, which has over 3 million subscribers and has been referred to as the best channel for entrepreneurs. He's the host of the BPD podcast and the author of numerous books, including his latest, Your Next Five Moves. Patrick has been featured by Forbes, CNN, Fox, Entrepreneur, and many other media outlets. In this episode, Patrick shares how his upbringing influenced the way he approaches business and life. We learn the difference between an entrepreneur versus an entrepreneur and why sometimes entrepreneurship is not the answer. We'll then get into Patrick's new book, Your Next Five Moves, and we'll gain insight as to why it's critical for successful entrepreneurs and chess grandmasters alike to have the ability to envision and anticipate their next five moves. Whether you feel like you've hit a wall, lost your fire, or are simply looking for innovative strategies to take your business to the next level, this conversation with Patrick Bet-David is likely to have all of your answers. Hey, Patrick, welcome to Young and Profiting Podcast. It's good to be on with you. I am very stoked for this conversation. You are the CEO and founder of the PHP Agency and the creator behind the hit YouTube channel, Valuetainment, which is the number one YouTube channel for entrepreneurs. And before we get into your come up story and your most recent book, Your Next Five Steps, I did want to touch on your amazing story. You were born and lived in Tehran during the Iran-Iraq War in 1987. Take us back to those terrifying days when you were just eight years old and what those moments were like for you. It's crazy you're asking that question. We were just having this conversation with somebody. But yeah, I was born in 1978 during the peak of the revolution in Iran where they were kicking the Shah out. So I was born October 1878. Four months later, he went into exile. Khomeini came in. The moment Khomeini came in, Saddam Hussein in Iraq saw the fact that Iran was in shambles and Khomeini didn't have the military leaders' ears. They didn't really respond to him. So this was a weak moment in Iran. He attacked. So we were at war with Saddam Hussein in Iraq for quite a while. I remember one day we're living in Tehran, Iran, and we got bombed 160 sometimes in a day. We escaped Tehran. We went to a city called Karaj. And then from Karaj, we went to Bandar Pahlavi, which is like North Iran. And then eventually we came back to Tehran. And my mother finally said, this is not a place to be. We would always watch Rocky movies. We would watch movies with the dream of one day coming to America. And my mom told my dad, if we stay here, this guy has to serve the military. And I don't want my son to serve the Iranian military. My dad agreed. We sold everything. We uh, got on a plane, Lufthansa plane, went to Germany. And I lived at a refugee camp there for two years. And from there came to the States. A couple of things that helped me out with both of those areas. In Iran, extreme level of paranoia, which some people might say paranoia is a good thing. It's a very good thing if you're a military leader. It's a very good thing if you're a parent. It's a very good thing if you're a founder of a company. It's a very good thing if you're an investor. It's a very good thing for all of those things. So that paranoia got me to always be thinking about what if we go out of business? What if we do this? So let me save a little bit more money. Let me invest more here. What if the speed slows down? What if we can't expand it? What if this was always that? So you're more urgent. You'll put two, three, four more hours a day. You'll show up on a Saturday. Maybe you'll do a half day on Sunday every once in a while. And then in Iran, in Germany, at the refugee camp, we were there with people from Yugoslavia at the time, Albania, Poland, Afghanistan, all over the place. I had to learn how to befriend people from different ethnicities. 
So I learned people skills and dealing with different people. That was very helpful. And I came to the States November 28, 1990. And that brought a whole slew of different issues that I had to get better at. So talk to us about how coming from immigrant parents like really shaped who you are into in terms of like wanting this massive amount of success. Like you are extremely successful. Why do you think that is? Because I find that people who have faced the most adversity end up being the most successful in life. I just had the coach. If you've seen the movie King Richard with Will Smith, the story of Serena Williams, he just left the office five minutes before I got on with you. I had him on the podcast just a minute ago. Mm. And we were talking about what it was like. He's played by John Bernthal in that movie, King Richard. And he says, parents were tougher back in the days on their kids than they are today. So you're Middle Eastern like myself. So, you know, our parents are a little bit more high standard pressure. It's like, you better do this. You'd be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. And if you become an engineer, you're a failure in life. If you don't have a four-year degree, how dare you not have a four-year degree? It's constant pressure, right? And so the idea of uh, being raised in, in that environment, it was constant and never-ending pressure to perform, which if you decide to compete in the world of business, we talked about players like Ben Simmons, who plays for the Nets. You're from Jersey, so you know he's in that area. But Ben Simmons just came to the Nets from uh, Philadelphia. He got $20 million last year for not playing, this year for not playing. And then he's coming to the Nets. He's clear to play, but he doesn't want to play because mentally he's going through certain challenges. And then these other tennis players are saying the same thing. Some of the Olympic players are saying the same thing. What being raised in that kind of an environment toughened me up where I could maybe tolerate pressure in a better way because I've had pressure in my life, my entire life since I was a kid. So this is nothing compared to what we went through. Maybe that's the strength that you get from having that kind of an environment. And now I have four kids. I have two boys and two girls. I'm trying to create that kind of a pressure for these guys. It's hard to do because they live in a resort. They travel everywhere. You know, they, they have a certain lifestyle that they're accustomed to. So I have to figure out ways to create that pressure for them in a different way that maybe I didn't have access to because ours was natural. But I think you need that. The more you have that as, at a younger age, the more you're going to be able to handle it later on in life because life is very, very hard. It's not easy. Living in today's times, marriage, raising kids, finances, temptation, challenges, competition, conflicts, crucial conversations, staying healthy, taking care of your investments, following politics, yet not following politics. It's a different era we're living. So it pays a lot to handle pressure today. It's a very, very high paid skill set for those who know how to, how to handle pressure. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that answer. So let's talk about when you immigrated to the U.S. So it wasn't exactly smooth sailing. In high school, you actually had a 1.8 GPA. You had a really low SAT score. And so why do you think that you struggled so much in high school? Was it a language barrier? Yeah. So in high school, I took ESL all the way through college. First semester when I had ESL and then I left college, I dropped out. But in high school, I was all math. I love math analysis. I love pre-calculus. I love everything to do with numbers. To me, math is like incredible. Everything else, I failed biology. I could care less about biology. It did nothing to me. My teacher at the end, her name was Miss Tiffany. We're at our final and she says, can I have Patrick, Bay, David, and Sean stand up? Me and Sean, this other kid stand up. And she says, even if you got 100% on this test, you still wouldn't get a D. So she says, I love you guys. You guys are very funny, but you have no reason to take the finals. She gave us a hug and we left. I had many of these classes that I had no interest in. I had no interest in certain classes at that phase of my life. I was interested in selling. I was interested in making money and I was interested in people. So if let's just say you and I were classmates. I would have known everything about you by the end of the class. I would have known about your parents, their names, their date of birthday, your date of birth your favorite food, your favorite sports team. Do you like sports team? What's your favorite movie, your favorite song? Who's your favorite teacher in school? Who's your favorite quarterback? I would have known details because I'm curious about you. I was the curious kid that wanted to know the why kid. I was always like, why do we do this? Who were, why'd you do it? What motivated you to do this? What do you, why do you like this so much? I don't like this. Why do you like it? It was curiosity. So that helped me out when it comes down to business because I was extremely curious about human beings and what got them to tick. So I had zero interest in the current educational model that they had. It was extremely boring to me. Yeah. And 
it's really interesting that you say that because sometimes the traditional school system doesn't really cover what you actually need in real life. And it sounds like you were more about getting that experience and having social skills. And actually, that can really pay off later in life. So I think that's pretty interesting that you say that. So you ended up joining the military because you basically thought you had no other choice. What was the military like for you? How did you apply those skills to entrepreneurship? I love the military. One of the best decisions I ever made is going into the military because I learned how to, again, get along with people from Mississippi, New York, LA, South Dakota, North Dakota. I learned the different cultures in the States. I learned what it is to work 80 hours a week, steady for six months straight. I learned what it is to sleep in dirt for a couple of weeks and couldn't stand it. I learned camaraderie. I learned teamwork. I learned backing each other up. I learned all of that stuff. And military taught you hard work in a way. People think they've worked hard until they go into the military and then they come out and they say, shit, that sucked on how much we had to work. Are you kidding me? Like, this was ridiculous what we had to do. It made no sense. Like, you're so tired. I remember one time I'm in boot camp. We've done so many push-ups, And anytime an officer walks out, you know, everybody would say, company, attention. And everybody would stand like this and you have to salute the officer. I couldn't salute where my left hand is holding my right arm up and it would fall. And my shoulders were gone. So training was amazing. Cardio was nonstop. But it brought us together. If you were at our army unit, you knew us. It was a group of our friends, myself, McElroy, Bradford, Gutierrez, Klingerman. It was a group of us. We were inseparable. You couldn't separate us when we were together. So you learn a lot of that stuff. And when I got out and I started working at, working at Valley Total Fitness and Sales, I brought that camaraderie. I brought that. You had to be emotionally tough because we were very sarcastic towards each other. People couldn't handle it. Like everybody would take shots at each other, but we could do it to each other. And then people wanted to get into the circle, but we were kind of like, you got to really be able to handle this circle. This is not an easy circle to be a part of. We really kick each other's ass and look, oh, but I want to be a part of it. And then we try you out. No, you're too soft. You can't handle this. There was a certain level of toughness. And, and I brought that back into our sales team that we applied, but it wasn't for everybody, but I loved it. I wouldn't do it any other way. One of the best decisions I made in my life. Yeah. Something that I keep hearing from you as you're talking about these stories, what sounds really important to you is all the connections you were able to make from all these diverse backgrounds. Like you said, when you're in the refugee camp, you met all these people from Europe and you had to learn how to be their friends. You came to America. You, you were curious about your classmates. You went to the army. You met all these people from the States and had to like, build camaraderie. Why is that so important to you? Why does that stick out to you so much when you tell these stories? Motive, motivation, stories. Everybody's family screwed up in a way or, or another, and we all hide it very well. We all have that one relative that screwed up. We all have those moments where we were screwed up at times. That connection gets you to see the humane side of people, that we have a lot more in common than we think we do. We may disagree on who's the best sports team. We may disagree on where we think taxes need to be. We may disagree on clothes or music or some of that stuff. But about 95% of stuff in life, we most people agree with, and it's finding that commonality. And then outside of that, I don't think there's more exciting product in the world than people. I can't think of a more exciting, interesting product in the world than people. Yeah, cars are nice. Yeah, homes are nice. Planes, gadgets, technology is nice. But human beings, it's that emotion, it's that feeling, it's that finding what button moves you versus moves me versus moves my kids versus moves my best employee and finding out why that person who is so extremely talented. The other day I had the boys, my sons, watch Goodwill Hunting. And there's a scene where Ben Affleck tells his friend, Matt Damon, saying, I swear to God, if I see you three years from now, I'm going to kill you. He says, what do you mean? He says, look, some of us are not as smart as you are, but if you don't use that for anything, you're an idiot. He says, what are you talking about? I see myself living here for the rest of my life. He says, no, I don't. You got to get, he says, I look forward to one day coming up to picking you up and I knock on your door and you don't answer. He says, every day I come to pick you up, I hope is the day that you left without telling any of us because you're going to go out there and pursue your dreams. And eventually it happens when he goes, knocks on the door. And I don't know if you've seen the movie Goodwill Hunting and he doesn't open the door in that one scene. It's an emotional scene. It's kind of like, eventually we all have to make a decision to open that door and go spread our wings and see what we're capable of. And that moment is scary. It's frightening because it's on us. If we win, it's on us. If we lose, it's on us. You can try to blame your mom, your dad, your ex, your boss, your teacher, your siblings, your 
You can blame anybody you want, but unfortunately, the market's going to put it back on you. And they're going to say, hey, man, that was your fault. I know you don't want to hear this, but it was on you. Hey, good job. You won. That's also your fault. And then shows up haters and competitors. Like, wait, I thought everybody wanted me to win. Well, no, not everybody wanted to see you win. Some people said that, but only if you actually wanted to see you win. How do you handle that? Because some of them were your friends. Some of them are your relatives. This is all part of testing life. And very few people can handle all of this. But I don't know. I'm fascinated with human beings, with people. Let's hold that thought and take a quick break with our sponsors. Young and profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now, and I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. And I love to teach sales on LinkedIn because when it comes to B2B sales, LinkedIn has got that on lock. LinkedIn is where all the decision makers are hanging out. There are 180 million senior level decision makers on LinkedIn and 10 million C-suite decision makers. These people are on LinkedIn and they're in the mode to buy. They're using LinkedIn for their buying journey to research vendors or sales reps that they might work with, to look up how to solve their problems, to learn from industry thought leaders. They are in the mode to buy, whereas on other platforms, they're in the mode to be entertained. You want to get them in the right mindset. You want to cut through the noise with LinkedIn ads. In fact, 79% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their top channel for paid media. And LinkedIn has the best targeting because they've got all these different inputs. People are putting their resume basically up on there. And so there's so many keywords that they can use to target the right decision makers so they can hear about how you solve their problems. And I've got a special gift for all you young and profiters who want to try LinkedIn ads. You can get a $100 credit. LinkedIn was super generous. If you want to make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a $100 credit on your next campaign, go to linkedin.com slash yap, Y-A-P. Again, if you want to claim your credit, go to linkedin.com slash yap. Terms and conditions apply. Young and profiters, Yap Media is growing so fast. I have 10 open roles just this month. In the past, it would take me so long to find hires. I have to go on all these different job sites. I have to create my own skills assessments. That's why I let Indeed do a lot of this heavy lifting for me. Indeed is the powerful hiring platform where I can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed has things like skills assessments, where when we have specific roles, we can find an assessment that matches that role and we can make sure they have the skills that we need. Then I can focus on culture fit. I can make sure they're scrappy enough and are obsessed with excellence and do all the things that we need to do for them to fit in at YAP. And Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful tools like Instant Match. An Instant Match basically matches you with candidates as soon as you put up a job post with people who are qualified right away. It's instant. And the best part is it gets better as you use it. So now when I use Indeed, especially when I'm hiring for similar roles, I get people right away where they know that I'm going to like the candidates because they can see what my preferences were in the past. It gets better as you use it. According to US Indeed data, the moment Indeed sponsors a job, over 80% of employers get candidates whose resumes are a perfect match for the position. It's like waving a magic wand that gets better as you use it. So I love using Indeed. We've found a lot of our A players on there. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide who count on Indeed to hire their next superstar like we do at Yap Media. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash profiting. Offer is good for a limited time. Claim your $75 sponsored job credit at indeed.com slash profiting. Again, that's indeed.com slash profiting and support the show by saying you heard about it on Young and Profiting Podcast. Again, it's indeed.com slash profiting to get your $75 credit. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And I can't wait to get into using your haters to fuel your motivation and everything later on. But let's stick on your story. I want to learn more about your come up journey. It is super inspiring. So you left the military and then you wanted to become the next Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) That was your plan. (laughs) You went to California, I believe. And you wanted to just become like a bodybuilder and make your way that way. So talk to us about that. Yeah. So I was the guy, if you would come to my army barracks, I had pictures of bodybuilders, fitness models, and Arnold and John Travolta everywhere. I mean, that's what it was. When I say John Travolta, I mean, from the movie Staying Alive or Saturday Night Fever, I was the guy that would wear polyester pants, 
with bell bottoms and I would wear these shirts with the big collars. You should see some of the pictures. <laughs> it's not a person many would recognize if they follow my content. But uh, yeah, I got out. I said, I'm going to be Mr. Olympia. I'm going to win Mr. Olympia one day, then go into Hollywood, be a big star. And then I'm going to marry a Kennedy. And then one day I'm going to be the governor. It's like, ah, that's who I'm going to be, right? And then I came out and I went to Mr. Olympia show myself to kind of learn if this is what I wanted to do or not. And I partied with some of the guys. And I'm like, there's no way in the world I'm going to put in my body what I have to put in to win this thing. And I'm 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, I'm way too tall. The right height for bodybuilding is 5'10". 6'5 is too tall. Maybe 5'11". My muscles are longer. So longer muscles to develop. It's tougher than shorter muscles. Anyway, so I said, yeah, I'm not doing Mr. Olympia. But I came back and I started working on Morgan Stanley Dean Witter. I met a girl named jean Vier who was working at Morgan Stanley. We met at Venice Beach. We started dating. And I said, you know what? I'm going to try this Morgan Stanley thing and give it a try. She worked there. I sent my resume in with a joke on the cover letter of it. I sent it to 100 different places. 30 people called me back. They thought the joke was funny. 15 of them offered me an interview. And then I think I got three offers. And I took Glendale, Morgan Stanley, Dean Witter. And I was 21, 22 years old when I first got started with them. Got my Series 7, 66, 31, Life and Health 26, and I went that route. So as much as I loved Hollywood, as much as I loved storytelling and going and being a big-time actor in Hollywood and playing the roles that I wanted to play, that moment I'm like, nope, I'm leaving this behind. I'm going to go this way. Maybe one day I'll make movies and I'll create a small little part for myself, but I'm going to go into business. And I saw everything from the lens of a mathematician, numbers, all this stuff, fell in love with financial industry. Mm. And obviously the rest is history there. Do you remember what the joke was on your cover letter? I do. I do. So father once tells his three sons, when I die, I want you to throw $1,000 into my burial in front of everybody. I want everybody to know how much you love me. And he tells the sons, you have to make sure you do this. The kids say, no problem. So the day comes, dad dies. First son goes up, he throws $1,000, but it's a $1,000 bills. Everyone starts crying. The second son shows up, he throws $20, $50 bills. Everybody starts crying. The third one was an accountant. He comes in, he writes a check for $3,000, drops it in there, takes all the cash and walks out. <laughs> so that story made 30 people laugh and three job offers. And I ended up working at Morgan without a four-year degree. Again, this is you using your skills as a people person to get what you want, right? It's, it's everything that you had learned along the way, and it, it ended up working out for you. I love that. Okay, so let's talk about you being an entrepreneur within your organization, because like me, I started my business as a side hustle working in corporate at Disney. So I also worked in corporate. And I'm really happy I took that route. I'm really happy that I didn't just start my business without any corporate experience first. So talk to us about the importance, like if that was, you know, your feeling as well, do you feel like you don't regret working for other people and learning off their dime? Yeah. So to me, when I started creating content, I made this video called Life of an Entrepreneur in 90 Seconds. And this was October 31st of 2015. It's been nearly seven years. And a video gets 10 million views in 24 hours. That's when that was viral. Like everybody's, oh my God, I got 30 million views. Now a few hundred million views it's had on different downloads, uh, uploads, and everybody was pressured to have that entrepreneur in their Twitter handle, right? Oh, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. And then a guy from IBM sends me a message and he says, look, man, I read your stuff. I follow your stuff. I feel like in order for me to succeed, I have to quit IBM. And I don't think that's the right decision to make because I'm doing very well. I love the company, but I don't want to leave the company, but I feel like I have to. I said, you know what? You make a very good point. Here's what you need to be thinking about. There are many great companies that retain potential future entrepreneurs who become intrapreneurs and they can make the same amount of money as an entrepreneur without having to take the risk. He says, what do you mean? I said, well, take Paul Allen for an example. He's an entrepreneur. We can go through so many stories of how money is made of people who are entrepreneurs they are within a company. They become the president. Then they become the CEO like Tim Cook, who's a billionaire now. He's an entrepreneur. He's not an entrepreneur. There are so many billionaires today who've always been an entrepreneur. Now, what's an entrepreneur? An entrepreneur is an entrepreneur, thinks like them, works like them, creative like them, obsessed like them, OC, nonstop, going, going, going like them. The only difference between an entrepreneur and the entrepreneurs 
the entrepreneur put the money up. That's it. So the entrepreneur gets a little bit more respect because he or she took all the risk. So most people are like, but I have to go be an entrepreneur. You don't have to be an entrepreneur. Let me kind of put the option to the individual who's thinking they have to go be an entrepreneur in a different way. Say, you know, Elon Musk at 32 years old. Mm-hmm. Elon's starting a company and he's planning on buying this one company called Tesla. And he wants to compete in the automotive industry. You have a shot at going in and getting 0.2% of the company. But that's nothing, Pat. Okay, fair. It's nothing. What's 0.2% today of a trillion-dollar company? 0.2% of a trillion-dollar company, it's $2 billion. So you may have been like, yeah, but you're not an entrepreneur. Yeah, but you're, you're $2 billion. You did okay. You didn't have to be an entrepreneur. So would you rather be an entrepreneur being worth $50 million or be an entrepreneur worth $2 billion? Yeah. You, you can go on a liquor store and it's your liquor store and it's only one and you make 180 grand a year net, but you're an entrepreneur or you can walk, go work with a killer guy like Musk and get equity in that company and become a decamillionaire. Mm-hmm. So that notion between the two, social media has confused a lot of people. Before people jump and go out there and just become entrepreneurs, if you know any killers around you, or if you know anybody we said, I don't know who that person is, but I know that guy's going places with that new company has started, I'm going to send him a message. And I want to say, I don't want to work for you before I start my own business. Maybe that's going to be a better route for me. Just as much as you're looking for ideas and companies to work for, look for great creative minds and personalities who you feel are going to do something massive, figure out a way to go team up with them. That may be just as valuable as a great company to be a part of, maybe even more. This is so valuable. I love what you just said. Like I resonate so much with it. And I think it also is important to understand what you really want because money is not the end-all be-all. It also matters what kind of work-life balance do you want? Do you want to have a family? Do you want to work 18-hour days for four years? These are all questions that you need to ask about yourself and what you truly want in life. And sometimes they don't align with being an entrepreneur of a huge company. It's really hard to be an entrepreneur and a CEO. Extremely difficult. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about how you started your first company. So you worked at Transamerica for over seven years, and then you started a national finance service company, PHP Agency. And you say your business was inspired by saying your dad told you never be afraid of the truth. Why did you decide to start that business? Yeah, so I was working at Transamerica and I was at Morgan Stanley prior to that. And a few things happened during that era. Number one is I saw in the securities industry, when you were selling stocks, bonds, mutual funds, you had to report to your boss, broker, dealer, every time you communicated with somebody on Facebook. So it's very weird. You're like, every time I communicate with a client, I have to report it to you. You do. Why? Because that's the BD guidelines. I'm like, that's just insane. Because social media is the way of life as well. Because you have to report everything on email. You have to report everything on social media. I said, you don't understand. That's not sustainable. Well, that's what the regulation says. I said, okay, sounds good. Being somebody that's security is licensed, have to adjust to it. Then I said, that's not going to last long term. Social media is here to stay. And it's just going to get bigger. This is 04, 18 years ago. Then I watched a guy named Ron Paul raise $6 million on MySpace in 24 hours. Okay. Now, this is MySpace. Most people don't know what MySpace is if their age starts with the number two or they're teenagers. They don't know what MySpace is, right? MySpace, your age has to start with three to really know what MySpace is, at least that you used it, right? Mm-hmm. So he raises a 69 year old man, runs for president, and raises $6 million on MySpace in 24 hours. And it becomes a Guinness Book of World Record. I'm like, that's crazy to see that happening. Then I saw the Hispanic vote becoming very big. Then I saw a one-term senator become a two-term president all through social media, raising $5, $10, Barack Obama. And then I saw every article talked about the fact that for every dollar that spent, 75 cents of the dollar spent, the decision maker was a woman. So women power was getting girl boss. This was like, it was starting to become more and more and more. Women wanted to become business owners and executives and entrepreneurs. Anyways, I'm watching all this stuff. I said, this is the direction the financial industry is going. So October of 09, I started my own insurance company. I wrote a book uh, about the next perfect storm. And I explained, here's what's going to be happening. And today, if you come to one of our conventions, we just had a convention at uh, MGM Grand Arena. You come in August, we'll have 15,000 people there. We've had 
the late Kobe Bryant interviewed in front of everybody. We had President Bush there. We've had Kevin Hart do the Irresponsible Tour wow. there. We've had Sebastian Maniscalco perform last year. We had Nikki Jam there, Mike Tyson. We had Mario Lopez was our MC. This year we have Shaq. We have Kurt Warner. We have Leila Ali. We have Penn and Teller performing. We have Nelly's opening up the convention as a concert. But the average agent today is a 34-year-old Hispanic female. Mm. So I saw the youth, I saw the women, and I saw Hispanic, and then we're multicultural. So you'll see 15,000 people from all different backgrounds. So those trends that I studied is what led me to start an insurance agency targeting that specific audience, and it led to what it is today. That's amazing. And so you really made insurance sexy. You know, typically an insurance agent is like an old white guy, right? And, and you're, you're having like young Latino women selling for you. How did you attract those types of employees? Like, did you set out from the beginning, like, I want to have a really diverse workforce and, and sort of disrupt everything? You set that out from the beginning? Yeah. So you're not married, right? No. Okay. So when I was single, here's what I did as a man. So everybody's like, well, what are you looking for as a, in a woman? Oh, here's what I'm looking for. Men typically are not as clear of what they're looking for early on. You guys get it earlier than we do, right? One day, one of my agent's wife, Patty, I said, Patty, I've made up my mind. I'm staying single for the rest of my life. I enjoy my own company. I'll have girlfriends, but I'm not getting married. She says, well, before you decide to not get married, read this book called 101 Questions to Ask Before You Get Engaged. I said, okay, I'll read it. So I read the book. I'm like, wow, I thought I was looking for this in a wife and I'm looking for this. It's crazy. I had no idea. I said, okay, this is kind of cool. Now I know what I'm looking for. Well, once you know what you're looking for, your job is to tell the world what you're looking for. Why? Because your friends know to give you good referrals of what you're looking for. Your coworkers know what you're looking for. There's a difference between saying, man, I'm looking for a hot girl to date. Well, that's very general versus if you say, I'm looking for somebody who's between the ages of 27 to 32, who's never been married before, who is a worker, career person, somebody whose height, they're between 5'2 and 5'6, athletic, likes to work out. See, the more I go, the more specific I'm being. So you may know a thousand different women, but I just eliminated 95% of them. And you're only thinking now about four girls that you may know that may be a good fit to go on a date with me. And I don't even know if they're going to be interested in me, right? But I went from a thousand to four. The more clear I got about the target audience I was looking for, then I started telling everybody, I'm looking for young, Hispanic, women, competitive, sports-minded, da-da-da-da-da, married with kids. This is what I'm looking for. Fantastic. They showed up. So you understand, once you get clarity on the target market you're going after, then you're better at asking for referrals and your referrals are more focused rather than general. Make sense? Mm -hmm. So you say, well, you know, you say, say I'm your booker and say, well, I want to get some good guests on a podcast. And all of a sudden your booker sends you a list of names. You're like, I'm not interested in these guys. Well, can you give me a little bit more clarity on who you're looking for? I'd like to have people guest as a podcast. Perfect. Let me go find them. So I got more specific. I told everybody the right people started showing up. I love that. Okay, so last question in terms of getting to know you before we get into your book, your next five moves. And so I found this quote from you that I really loved. You said, reading an hour a day is only 4% of your day, but that 4% will put you at the top of your field within 10 years. And it actually reminded me of something that Stephen Kotler taught me, which is that books are the best ROI on your time. So authors, they spend hours and hours, maybe their whole lifetime creating a book, and then you get to digest it in just a handful of hours. So I'd love to understand how reading changed your life. I mean, you said it earlier, right? 1.8 GPA. First time I finished the book cover to cover, I was 21 years old. I've never finished a book cover to cover. I was 21 the first time I did it. And then once I read a business book, I'm like, I can't believe this isn't a book. I've read now over 2,000 books and God knows how many business articles. And that led me to who I am today. I think it's an edge. I remember one time one of my advisors came and stayed at my place. And he went to the room that he had and he went into the shower. He's in the shower for 45 minutes. And I'm like, I know this guy very, I've traveled the world with this guy. That's a long ass shower to be in my bathroom. What is this guy doing in my shower? So all of a sudden he comes out pumped up. Like, you good? He says, yeah. So wh what's up with you? He says, your wall, your wall in the shower is awesome. I said, which wall? Well, I had all my affirmations on the wall. 
Okay. Mm. So he went through all of my affirmations because I would laminate them and I would put it on all my showers. So if I'm in the shower, I'm always reading my affirmations in the shower. Okay. While I'm in there. Oh, this is a great idea. I'm going to do the same thing, et cetera, et cetera. Well, those affirmations are a byproduct of the books. I would read a book. I'd get a quote. I put it in there, right? Be careful what you joke about or be sarcastic about because your spirit stops having faith in the words that come out of your mouth. Boom. That's power. Highest form of maturity becomes uh, is when you become independent of others' opinions. Oh, that's awesome. Highest form of maturity, independent of others' opinions. I can handle more time. All of these things were being added one by one by one by one by one. Again, byproduct of books. And then eventually they stick. The more t- you tell it to yourself, they stick and you, you start becoming these quotes. Yeah. Let's stick on the law of attraction because I know that you have a unique perspective on the law of attraction. Why is it not enough to just say affirmations? What else do you have to do? Listen, that's a cop out when people say, you know, law of attraction. If I say good things are going to happen to me, no, that's not how this thing, uh, life works. The question about what's the key to success? I've asked God knows how many people. I'm like, oh, the key to success, marry the right person, work hard, save money, go to college, love people, believe in God. There's so many of these different keys to success, right? For me, it came down to a few different things. One, on myself to enjoy my own company is alignment because if I live a life, the behavior of my life is aligned with my values and principles, I'm at peace. But if the way I live is different than the values and principles, I'm just out of whack. So I'm tough to be around. There's a bit of bitterness there. What is Pat dealing with? All you have to know is that these, this is out of whack a little bit, right? Mm. So that was more alignment when people want to be, I feel people who are calibrating at the highest level and competing at the highest level, they're very aligned. Then the other side for me, the key to success was outwork, out improve, out strategize, and outlast. Outlast, we're not really going to know who the real competitors are for two decades. So most people are picking their rabbits way too early. It's going to be 20 years till you're going to know who's who. 20 years ago, nobody would have put Elon Musk on that list. 20 years later, it's Musk and Bezos. Those guys have made it very clear is who they are. So social media influencers, we're not going to know who the killer social media influencers are till 2035. We're not going to know. It's going to go on for many, many more years. 2035, people are going to be, do you remember that one guy that used to, oh, everybody talked about her. Everybody talked about her on Twitter, Instagram. Everybody talking about her on YouTube. I haven't heard that guy's name for the last five, 10 years. What happened? So the pool starts busy, and then all of a sudden, only a few people make it at the top, right? So outwork, outimprove, outstrategize, and outlast. Last takes 20 years. Strategize takes a while because it's going to take a while for you to come up with good strategies. Outimprove. If you want to compete with anybody, beat them and outimproving them and then outwork. So laws of attraction is good. It's form of affirmations, but affirmations by themselves without outwork, outimprove, outstrategize, outlast means nothing. We'll be right back after a quick break from our sponsors. Hey, AppFam, starting my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass was one of the best things I've ever done for my business. I didn't have to waste time figuring out all the nuts and bolts of setting up a website that had everything I needed, like a way to buy my course, subscription offerings, chat functionality, and so on, because it was super easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, whether you're selling your first product, finally taking your side hustle full time, or making half a million dollars from your masterclass like me. And it doesn't matter if you're selling digital products or vegan cosmetics. Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Shopify's got you covered as you scale. Stop those online window shoppers in their tracks and turn them into loyal customers with the internet's best converting checkout. I'm talking 36% better on average compared to other options out there. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, from huge shoe brands like Allbirds to vegan cosmetic brands like Thrive Cosmetics. Actually, back on episode 253, I interviewed the CEO and founder of Thrive Cosmetics, Carissa Bodnar, And she told me about how she set up her store with Shopify and it was so plug and play, her store exploded right away. Even for a makeup artist type girl with no coding skills, it was easy for her to open up a shop and start her dream job as an entrepreneur. That was nearly a decade ago. 
And now it's even easier to sell more with less thanks to AI tools like Shopify Magic. And you never have to worry about figuring it out on your own. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. So you can focus on the important stuff, the stuff you like to do. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting, and that's all lowercase. If you want to start that side hustle you've always dreamed of, if you want to start that business you can't stop thinking about, if you have a great idea, what are you waiting for? Start your store on Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Again, that's shopify.com slash profiting shopify.com slash profiting for $1 per month trial period. Again, that's shopify.com slash profiting. Young and profiters, we are all making money, but is your money hustling for you? Meaning, are you investing? Putting your savings in the bank is just doing you a total disservice. You got to beat inflation. I've been investing heavily for years. I've got an E-Trade account. I've got a Robinhood account. And it used to be such a pain to manage all of my accounts. I'd hop from platform to platform. I'd always forget my Fidelity password and then I have to reset my password. I knew that needed to change because I need to keep track of all my stuff. Everything got better once I started using Yahoo Finance, the sponsor of today's episode. You can securely link up all of your investment accounts in Yahoo Finance for one unified view of your wealth. They've got stock analyst ratings. They have independent research. I can customize charts and choose what metrics I want to display for all my stocks so I can make the best decisions. I can even dig into financial statements and balance sheets of the companies that I'm curious about. Whether you're a seasoned investor or looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. I talked to David Meltzler and he talks about the law of Goya. Get off your ass. You've got to combine that with the law of attraction if you want results. Okay, so let's talk about your most recent book. It's called Your Next Five Moves. You wrote it in 2020 and the title of the book is related to chess. And you say that you always need to be thinking steps ahead of your opponent to win. So talk to us about the vision and mindset of a chess master and how that is related to business. Life is all about sequencing, all about sequencing. You and I may play the same game, but your moves may be better and my moves are not. You're going to beat me. Meaning I'm so impatient that a move that I'm supposed to do as move 19, I do that move three, I lose. Versus you are willing to be patient to do move 19. At move 19, you have an edge over me. I once watched this movie years ago. It was called Flash of Genius. I don't know if you've ever seen a movie, Flash of Genius. It's the story of a guy who invented the uh, windshield wiper. He had this win- intermittent windshield wiper that he invented. So there's a scene in this movie where he's in court. It's, it's a must-watch movie. He takes these intermittent wiper years ago when cars are driving and they can't get rid of the rain or the snow. And he invents this. It's a very big deal. He takes it to Ford Chrysler, to everybody. Well, they blow him off, but they take his patent and do it themselves. And he never makes the money on it. So wait a minute, I came up with this. They're like, no, you just use three parts and put it together. He says, it doesn't matter. I came up with it. They blew him off. And they were thinking this guy's going to be gone because he doesn't have the kind of money to go up against Ford's lawyers. Well, long story short, he goes to court against these guys. He loses his wife. He loses his kids because he lost his house, everything. He was that stubborn. And his wife leaves him, takes the kids. The guy's got nothing left to his name. And then there's this one scene where he's standing up and he says, so you guys are all saying that it's not a big deal because I just took three parts and put them together and anybody could have done it. Well, how come you haven't done it all these years? And I was able to do it. He says, your honor. And he looks at the jury. He says, I have a question for you. He grabs a Charles Dickens book. He grabs it, he opens it up, and he says, have you ever used the word sometimes? Yes. Okay. Have you ever used the word conflict? Yes. Where's this guy going with this? Have you ever used the word love? Yes. Every word that Charles Dickens used in the diction in his book, we all know of. But the reason why this thing sold millions of copies and why we're not Charles Dickens and he is, 
is because he knew what order to put those words that we all know about. We could have done the same thing, but he knew the order. Finally, the jury says, shit, this makes a lot of sense. The guy ends up getting $28 million. Mm. And I'm talking 28 million in 70s and 80s, wow. not 28 million today. 28 million during that time. And that's how the story ends. So what does this mean? You ask the question about your next five moves. Everything is sequencing. If you start looking at life from a sequence, you'll make decisions in a different way. So what's better? Date first, have kids, and then get married. No, date first, take your time, depending on your religion, maybe live together for a couple months, maybe travel together to get to know each other, then maybe get married. After you're engaged, maybe stay engaged for six months, then get married, maybe enjoy each other's company for a couple of years, then have kids. I'm not telling you that's what to do, but I'm just saying like there's an element of sequencing. You start a company, well, I'm going to go start a company and I'm going to go out there and do X, Y, Z. Okay, well, think about what's the right sequence within the company you're starting. Who do you go recruit first? Who's your first hire? Who's your fifth hire? How much money should you raise? Should you raise capital based on debt or equity? or cash. What should you do next? All of that is sequencing. So the people I'm convinced that went at the highest level, they obviously take the bigger risks, but they're much better at sequencing than everybody else. And that's why I wrote the book, Your Next Five Moves. This is super interesting. You know, I've done like over 300 interviews and nobody has ever talked about this. This is the first time that we've talked about sequencing in terms of decision-making. So you talk about five moves. Why is it five? Like, why isn't it 10? Because you might think, you know, the more moves, the more better off I'll be. So why five? I originally suggested 15 moves because a grandmaster in chess knows your next 11 to 15 moves. I said, your next 15 moves. But then the publisher, Simon & Schuster said, that's going to be intimidating. It's a lot easier if we go with five moves. I said, no problem. We go with five. But in my mind, I'm more 15 moves. So I think you got to be thinking 15 moves ahead. By the way, This whole concept of your next five moves or your next 15 moves is not only within your health, it's also with your confidence. I got four kids, so I have your next 15 moves with them, sports, art, you know, the interest that they have. It's your next 15 moves in your marriage, your next 15 moves with your companies, your next 15 moves with the podcast, your next 15 moves with signing talent to bring it on board, your next 15 moves are where... I should buy my properties now in the companies, buying domains. It's not just one dimensional. It's your next 15 moves in everything you do. So essentially, if you unpack this and you come up with 15 moves in every aspect of your life, you could come up with 150 different moves, but they're different. So imagine looking at your board and you come to your work and you're looking at the wall and there's 15 moves for all different areas of your life. You handle your day in a different way. You make decisions in a different way. You take on new hobbies in a different way. You're a little bit more hesitant about picking up a new hobby that could maybe take 12 hours of your week from you. You treat everything in a different way. You hire people in a different way. You invest in a different way. Everything becomes slightly more intentional when you're looking at the sequencing. Yeah. Now, how do you go about kind of deciding what order you're going to do things? Because that seems like a lot of pressure. Like somebody might think like, well, what if I make the wrong move? Then all the other moves are wrong. Like, What are your thoughts on that? That's part of the game, though. You play Monopoly, and if you go right off the bat to want to buy Boardwalk, and you spend all your money on Boardwalk, and say, I go and buy Indiana, Illinois, and maybe it's a little bit cheaper to buy that versus the other one, maybe you shouldn't have bought Boardwalk right off the bat, because it's only two pieces anyway. It's an all the way at the end. So maybe you should have bought you know, Atlantic. Maybe you should have bought a couple different. So, But that's part of the game. That's how game works. You got a kid. We all all of a sudden save money and we have $1,000. If you go spend all your money in one place, well, maybe you bought something that doesn't give you return and your other kid took that $1,000 and invested and that $1,000 is now $1,800. That's on you. So many things we can do with our decisions that are short-term benefits without delayed gratification. Like I'll test my kids and I'll say the following. They'll say, daddy, can I have some ice cream? And I'll say, yeah, you can get one lick of chocolate ice cream right now. Or I can let you eat an entire ice cream at eight o'clock tonight when we get home. What am I doing to the kid? If he says one lick, I'm like, shit, this guy's thinking short term. I'm hoping the kid says what? Yeah, I'm not going to take a lick. It's not worth it. I'll wait till the end of the night. Okay, cool. So I'll give you a scoop at the end of the night. I'm teaching delayed gratification, right? So 
will be tempted to make some of the decisions right now that we wanted right now. But you as a leader, as somebody who's got a big vision, you got to be patient to make the right moves in the right sequence. It's tough to do, by the way, very hard to do. Yeah, it sounds tough, but it's super, super helpful and interesting to hear you talk it through. Okay, so we've got about 10 minutes left. So I'd love for you to walk through the five moves in achieving your goals. So that's master knowing yourself, master the ability to reason, master building the right team, master strategy to scale, and master power plays. So number one, the most intimidating question I'll ask people when I'm working with them, I'll say, who do you want to be? And they're like, what do you mean? So who do you want to be in life? I don't understand the question. Who do you want to be? You want to be the one where all the pressure's on you? You want to be a role player? You want to be somebody that's doing something very, very big? How big of a life do you want to live? You want to live a life where you got a nice condo and you're making 150 and you're somebody that works nine to five and you're okay with that? And there's zero envy in you if one of your friends becomes a billionaire? Or do you want to live a life where you want to find out what your full potential looks like? You are really curious. Why did God make me talented in these following areas? Why'd you do this to me, God? Why don't you give that talent to somebody else? I know I'm talented in these three areas. Why'd you give it to me? Man, I cannot live the rest of my life not knowing why that is. So who do you want to be? What kind of a life do you want to live? That's a heavy question when I ask somebody. And they have to really think about that. And there's a way to go through that process to know who you want to be and the kind of a life that you want to live. That's number one. I made a decision a long time ago who I want to be and the kind of a life I want to live. I remember it's 08. At this point, I've spoken in front of 100,000 people. I've spoken in front of audiences of 15,000. I'm in my late 20s. I've made good money. I drive a nice car. I've dating the girl that I wanted to date, who's now my wife. We've been together nearly 13 years. I've traveled the world. I've been in 40 countries at that age. I've seen a lot, right? I've partied. I've had a good time, all of it. But I have a feeling of emptiness. I'm like, yeah, okay. It's got to be bigger than this. What is it? So I bring all my advisors together and we have a meeting and I say, guys, I want to know what I want to do in my life, what my real purpose is. And it's just really driving me nuts because I think it's bigger than what I'm doing right now. So I asked one guy who was a, a pastor, I said, do you think I'm supposed to be a pastor? And he says, well, listen, I've been in the church game for a while. I can tell you for a fact, you're not made to be a pastor, okay? You're a business guy. There's nothing about you that's a pastor. You just stick to what you're doing. I said, okay, good. That's not me. Hey, um, do you think I'm supposed to go do? No, you're not. So eventually I meet this one guy, George Will, who tells me, why don't you find out why 40 million immigrants come to America? Why do we call this the American dream, but you've never heard of the Russian dream, the German dream, the French dream? Why don't they call it the British dream or the Brazilian dream? Why is there only the American dream? Why? Go study it and talk about that for the rest of your life. So I went and I did. I couldn't stop talking about it. That got me for me to realize who I want to be and what kind of a life I want to live. That inspired the hell out of me to explain capitalism with the life that I've lived in a complete different way. Number two is the team, to uh, the ability to reason. Right. So once I started going through the process that I was going through on improving as a leader, I noticed when I would sit with somebody and I would talk to them, I would try to catch this person's ability to reason if it's at a different level of mine. And I want to pull that and draw that out of them. Right. And you will know certain people vibrate at a, at a certain level. And you're like, ooh, there was a lot of depth in this guy. This was very different of a person I spoke to. I've never heard anybody explain it this way. I want to get better at that because in the book, Power Versus Force, I highly recommend reading the book, Power Versus Force, but he talks about all these different levels that people have on which one produces the highest level of vibration. And the way he breaks it down is that the lowest level that we all have is shame. Then it goes to guilt. Then it's apathy, grief, fear, desire, anger, pride. Then the first level where it leads to power instead of force is courage. You have the courage to make mistakes. Then it's neutrality. You're able to entertain different conversations that people disagree with. Then it's willingness. You're willing to work with people. You're accepting of people. You don't judge that much. Then it's you're able to reason, have an exchange of ideas. Then it's love. You love people. Then it's joy, peace, enlightenment, being at the highest level, right? The way he explains it in this book. I got you. So... I sat there and I said, I have to be able to process issues better. So I created a system on how to process issues, how to solve problems, how to handle issues. And that system is a transferable system that I can give to other people where some people overreact when something happens. There was no need to overreact. And sometimes people underreact and there is a need to overreact. So people sometimes screw that reaction part up. And that formula is in the book. 
that you can find it. Then the third one is team building. Everything in life to me is recruiting, recruiting a running mate, is recruiting the right friends, recruiting the right mentor, advisors, recruiting the right spouse, recruiting the right COO, president, investors, board members. Everything to me in life is recruiting, then getting a formula on how to scale and your strategies, which kind of takes a little longer to get because I'll sit there and I'll have a con. We just hired a new talent, a very well-known talent that we just signed. We signed a three-year contract with her. She just moved here from New York. We're excited about it. She's been a big name on TV for a while and very well-known person on TV. So we just signed her and she came here. And we had our entire team, marketing team. There's 10 people in the room. You got merch, you got design, you got graphic, you got all this stuff, right? And she started talking about, here's what we do with this show. Here's what we do with that show. I remember one time I was in this meeting. We did this and we did that and we did this. Sitting there, I'm like, got it. So that's what they did on NBC. And that's what they did on Fox. And that's what they did on CNN. And that's what they did on ABC. When she was in the room when these decisions were being made, huh, I'm borrowing strategies and I'm writing them down. But strategy, you have to catch it. If you're distracted, you'll miss it. Somebody can watch this podcast in five different ways. One of them's like, ah, oh, that was a cool story. The other one's doing other things, didn't catch anything we talked about. The other one's like, oh, that was interesting, the book, I'll get it. But somebody can be like, I've never heard anybody explain it like this before. I'm going to go buy that book. I'm going to go read this book. The reason part makes sense. I have to be able to reason better. Okay. So everybody, they receive. But if you screw it up and you miss it, you miss what you were supposed to get. And the last but not least, the power plays. Capitalism, business is dirty. You're naive if you think, yo, my gosh, everybody wants me to be a millionaire. Yeah, okay. And unicorns are going to fly over celebrating your success. That's not how life works. You have to understand power plays. You have to understand if you start winning and taking market share away from somebody else, there's envious people out there. Not everybody. But what I've learned is the killers of the killers of the killers at the top, they feel there's so much left that you're like, listen, you go get it as well. You win as well. Totally fine. They don't come from the envious place. But you have to be careful because if you, God forbid, create an enemy that's very envious, you have to try to minimize that. You can naturally, it's going to happen. You can't prevent that. But if you do, you have to learn how to play the power plays with that individual because, anyways, it's a complicated world when it comes down to competition. And I write about that in point number five, move number five in a book. So that's how we describe the five moves. Amazing. So guys, we only scratched the surface. I highly recommend you go get his book, Your Next Five Moves. I'll stick the link in the show notes. So Patrick, we ask a couple questions at the end of the show. It can be super quick. We do something fun at the end of the year. So first, what is one actionable thing my listeners can do today to become more profitable tomorrow? Okay, unfollow people whose language produces a certain energy and feeling in you that is not necessary. Mm. Feels an hour of your day. Follow people whose language and methodology of processing issues elevates your thinking. You only have so many hours of focus per day, you can't afford to lose it. Train your negative friends and family to not call you often. The way you train them is if you pick up the phone call every time they call you, now only pick up every three calls, then go to every five calls, then every seven calls, then they'll stop calling you because they realize you're not calling. Pick, of course, I'm not saying you know if there's an emergency, but you have to train negative people to not call you because if you train them to call you, and you pick up every time, they're going to call you forever until you, they learn this guy's not answering the calls anymore. I know it sounds kind of weird, but that's what I would say. No, it's true. You got to protect your energy. Okay. What is your secret to profiting in life? Reading people. I've had tens of thousands of meetings face to face, and I like to read energy and people motives because you kind of, it's intuition, obviously, you're not going to get it right. But if you're right, 70, 80% of the time, you're in a good company. I love it. Thank you so much, Patrick. I know you have to run. Thank you so much for your time. This was great. Thank you so much for having me on. It was fantastic. Gap fam, I loved the energy that Patrick Bet David brought on the show. And as we wrap up this conversation, there's a couple things that I want to leave you with. And the first is this idea of the entrepreneur. This is when you're developing new ideas and innovating at a company that you already work for. So you're not the actual owner of the company, but you have an owner's mindset. These days, it seems like there's so much clout when it comes to being an entrepreneur and everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, even though I don't think that everyone is capable of being a successful entrepreneur because 
entrepreneurship is tough and you need a certain personality type. You need to be like very optimistic. You need to be a self-starter. There's a lot of qualities that you need to have to be an entrepreneur. And I don't think that everyone has those qualities. And there's lots of ways to be successful aside from entrepreneurship. And I think that often people just take that leap into entrepreneurship without considering if they're the right type of personality to take on the real risks and ups and downs that comes with being an entrepreneur. And so I learned this the hard way. I was an entrepreneur when I was 25 and I was absolutely not ready for it. It ended up not working out. I didn't know how to monetize the big brand that I had built. While I don't regret the experience at all because I believe that everybody should get experiences and that experience taught me a lot of skills that I leverage today, I do feel like I jumped into entrepreneurship too early. I didn't have enough of the skills that I needed. And when I got into corporate, I actually became an entrepreneur because I had such an owner's mindset already that as soon as I got into my first corporate job, which was at Hewlett Packard, I did amazing because I was very innovative. I thought outside the box. I didn't have all this institutional knowledge. I had a lot of like fresh knowledge from the internet and I just applied that at work and I really stood out. And corporate was where I really started to level up my business knowledge. I learned how to create PowerPoints, which I use now today. And I, and I was known as the PowerPoint princess at one point because I made such good presentations. I learned how to run social media pages. I learned how to do QBR quarterly business reports and more about finances and how to talk to leadership and how to write professional emails and just all these little things that when you're an entrepreneur, you don't really get exposure to. Even the corporate lingo, I feel like has leveled me up as a business person because now I get on all these calls with other people who are in these corporate arenas and I can communicate effectively with them. I know how to talk to them. I know how they feel. I've been in their shoes before. And so something that I just want you to really just sink your teeth into, so to speak, is that it can be incredibly useful to work as an entrepreneur at somebody else's company where you'll be learning and developing your skills on somebody else's dime. So when you work for a company, a lot of the times, hopefully you're in a situation where you're learning and you have access to training and resources. And sometimes they'll even pay you to go to school or they'll pay for your school. And so there's lots of different opportunities when you're in these corporate structures for you to just learn and absorb and learn as much as you can before you decide if you ever do decide to take the leap. And you also might decide that there's no need to take the leave. There's executives who are making half a million dollars a year. There are CEOs of companies who rise up the ranks to become a C-suite executive or a CEO who are making millions of dollars a year, which is much more than most entrepreneurs are making after they actually get their profit. It's lots of expenses that come with entrepreneurship. So entrepreneurship is not always the answer. And I know we talk about entrepreneurship a lot on the podcast, but I do want people to realize while entrepreneurship is amazing, it's not for every personality type. And there's so many ways to be successful. That's not entrepreneurship. And you can be successful in your corporate job and maybe have like a small side hustle if you want to dabble in entrepreneurship and see if it's anything that you like or that you're good at. So everybody's journey is different. And truthfully, owning your own business is not cut out for everyone. So like Patrick says, it's crucial that we can honestly answer the question, what do you want to be in life? And once you know what you want, you can start strategizing those five next moves, whether they be working long-term for a company that you love, starting your own business or anything in between. All right, Younger Profiters, before we go, I did want to leave you with some actionable advice. And I wanted to remind you of Patrick's next five moves for anyone in business. And that's number one, master knowing yourself. Number two, master the ability to reason. Number three, master building the right team. Number four, master strategy to scale. And number five, master power plays. And I wanted to stick on move number two, which is master the ability to reason. And that's because there's an incredible power in the processing of issues. And I think this is something that everybody should know. Entrepreneur, entrepreneur, doesn't matter. Before you act on a problem, you must first process what's happening. And the key success at all levels of business is to know how to process 
issues. Great processing of issues is an incredible skill. And that involves the ability to make effective decisions based on access to information at hand so that you can have the highest odds in your favor. And that also takes subjecting every difficult choice, problem, or opportunity you face through a rigorous mental analysis. Also playing out strategies, seeing the hidden consequences, and sequencing a series of moves to permanently solve problems. But to be great at processing problems, you need to take responsibility whenever you can. This is a very key. Great processors see their role in whatever problem has occurred. While poor processors often play the victim and blame others and external events on their problems rather than seeing how they themselves contributed to the problem. So if you want to be a great processor, you've got to take ownership. And there's other traits and tips that I can give in terms of being a great processor. You want to ask a lot of questions because having more data leads to making better assumptions. Number two is that you don't care about being right or wrong. You're only interested in the truth. You also don't want to make any excuses. Wasting time and effort on why things went wrong is never productive. You want to just look forward. You also want to embrace challenges. You want to be curious and you want to prevent more problems than you solve. Spot the yellow flags before they turn red. The other thing that you can do to be a great processor is to learn how to negotiate. We have a ton of negotiation content on Yap and focus on permanently solving a problem. Don't just put band-aids on your problems. All right, so there you have it. Some actionable tips on the incredible power of processing issues so you can master the ability to reason. And before you know it, if you know yourself, if you can master the ability to reason, if you have the right team, implement scalable solutions and perform those power plays that we talked about in this episode with Patrick, your success will be inevitable. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to another amazing episode of Young and Profiting Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, if you found any value, drop us your feedback by leaving us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. Apple Podcast Reviews mean the most. I'd really appreciate if you took a couple minutes to drop us an Apple Podcast review and subscribe as well. And if you haven't yet, I'd love to chop it up with you on Instagram. A lot of you guys are following me on Instagram and it's been really fun to meet all of my new listeners on there. You can find me at Yap with Hala or you can find me on LinkedIn. Just search for my name. It's Hala Taha. You can't really miss me on that platform. Thanks for listening to another amazing episode of Young and Profiting Podcast this week featuring Patrick Bet David. This is your host, Hala Taha, signing off. <laughs>